Let me, I'm going to grab my water if you don't mind if I walk down here, but that way I don't, don't start hacking on later on. But so we are, we are in our last week in a sermon series. So I thought it was kind of fun. We have a whole new group of people to come in on the very last week, um, but that's okay. Um, We're in Ruth, and if you haven't made your way there, just kind of, kind of walk your way. I, I um, was Sing the first time we went through this, sing the books of the Bible song to get us there, but I didn't want to embarrass myself or make anyone else feel awkward, so I didn't sing. So, but you can walk through if you see Joshua, Judges, you'll find Ruth, and we're in Ruth. You can turn there and make your way there if you haven't already. And since since we have a, a new group here, we will try to recap and bring us up to speed in a little bit. This week, as we we look at this passage, I've been just been thinking about. I've been thinking about family history and thinking about genealogies. And today, you know, I, I could have brought a, a whole big uh, poster board with all the genealogies from one side of my family. Because uh, there's hopefully some of you in your families, you have someone who really gets into that and be able to lay out your genealogy. And I could have brought that this morning and, and just kind of walked you through it. We could have taken an hour just to kind of walk through my genealogy. And I know it would have been just riveting for everyone this morning. Not really. It, it, it's exciting for my family, maybe, hopefully a little bit, because it's part of our heritage and what the Lord even has done to, to bring about what we're doing now. And for my family, a few weeks, well, I guess it was several months ago now, I read some stories to my kids from my great-grandfather, whose name is Hans Christian Olsen. And my great-grandfather, he came to America in the 1800s from Denmark, and he went to North Dakota. I don't know why you begin and go to North Dakota, but that's where, where they went. And he planted churches. He was a church planner, a Lutheran church planner that planted churches out in the middle of the country. And I read some of those stories to my kids, and we loved hearing them. And I could read those to you today, and you might be... Yeah, it might be a little bit interesting, but not the same way when it's our family that impacts us. And we see that we are an extension of what God did through him and how he worked through our family and is still working now. And as we look at this genealogy, which is the last part, we're going to get to that in a little bit. But we see this genealogy, and it could be just kind of this boring thing, but really this is something that impacts us now, that reaches all the way to us Today, as we see God's redemption plan being played out, and we'll talk about that in a bit. So it's a significant genealogy, not something just to skip over, but something that we think of and know that it is something that the Lord did then and is doing now in us today as he brings about his redemption plan. So we'll get to that, but we're going to begin as we begin in verse 11. Uh, We need to recap a little bit, because I know we're at the end. Naomi, who's going on? What all is going on now? So the story we have began was with Naomi and her husband Elimelech and her two sons. They leave the promised land. They leave Judah and they go to Moab. And it's not Moab, but Moab. They went to the, the country where the Moabites lived. And they went there because they were escaping famine. They were hoping to find relief from famine in Moab. And that wasn't necessarily the best place for the people of God to go. Moabites... They were historical enemies of the Israelites. They were historical enemies of them. And if you know the story, they were, through 
the ancestral relationship of Lot with his daughter. So we joke how they're the hill, hillbilly cousins of the Israelites, but that's where they went. And they went to seek relief in Moab. But in Moab, Elimelech dies. The husband of Naomi dies and the two sons die. But before they die, they had married uh, Moabite women. But these Moabite women, they were without children. So Naomi is left without any grandchildren, without anyone to carry on the family line, without anyone to then inherit the land of Elimelech. And that's an important thing because God had, had given land to the families, and that was part of their inheritance from the Lord. So Naomi's in this dark place, and she goes back to Judah because she hears that there is harvest happening. And she goes on this journey, begins with her daughters-in-law, but she stops them and she says, she says to them, if you follow me, there's no hope. There's no hope with me. Go back to your family. Go back to your mother and your father and your homeland and have children. Marry there. But Ruth, one of the daughters-in-law, she binds her life and her future with Naomi. And she not only just says, binds her life and goes with her, but she says, where you live, I'm going to live. Where you, where you die, I'm going to die. Where you're buried, I'm going to be buried. So she's going to go and live there even past the life of Naomi. So she clings her life, her life to Naomi, Ruth does, to care for Naomi and also binds her life with the God of Israel, to the one true God. And she binds her life and puts herself under the refuge of the Lord God. So Ruth goes with Naomi into the land and as they go to back to Judah, um, they need provision and Ruth goes out to glean, to gather in the fields from the harvest. And the harvesters were to leave extra and leftovers for the widows and for the sojourner and for the fatherless. So Ruth goes out and she ends up in the field of Boaz. And Boaz ends up, uh, by God's providence, he's a close relative of Naomi. So he is one that can actually step in and marry Ruth. And through Ruth, as if, through the children of Ruth, through this redeemer, through Boaz, that the family line of Elimelech could continue. So hope opens up. Naomi's in this dark closet, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, uh, but this door opens up, and then Ruth, at one point, she approaches Boaz and says, will you marry me? Will you be the redeemer for this family? And Boaz says, yes, I will, but there's a redeemer that's closer. There's someone next in line who is able to step in and marry and inherit these things, but that redeemer we found out last week was one who wanted to protect himself. He didn't want to enter into this relationship and take on the baggage of Ruth and those kids who could, could take that inheritance, and he leaves it to Boaz. And Boaz is one who's a righteous one, one of great character, and steps in to marry Ruth. And that's really where we get to right here. So that was, that's a quick overview of the book, um, and we're in verse 11 as we begin. And we're going to see here, as we Ruth, that there, she's an outsider. And we see that outsiders are brought in by the loving kindness of our God. Isn't that true? Amen. I hear there's going to be some amen, so I'm kind of waiting for them. And they're not, I know, I know it's a different place, but all right. So verse 11, we see that there are these blessings. So the people find out that Boaz is going to marry Ruth, and they are approving of this marriage, and they speak these blessings upon Ruth and Boaz. And we have the first one as we begin, verse 11, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. So Rachel and, and Leah, if you remember, Rachel and Leah, they were the wives of Jacob. 
They were the daughters of Laban. And Jacob worked 14 years to marry Rachel, who he loved. And Leah, he married by deception of Laban, the father. But they together, they, they built up the house of Israel. So the people, they're asking Ruth. They're asking that Ruth would be one who would be great to be able to build up the house, the family of Boaz. And also continue on that line of Elimelech too, no doubt as well. And that these descendants, that they would be part of this great family, an important family. They're asking for the Lord to do this for them. And then it says, may you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And Ephrathah is an ancient name for Bethlehem. And if you uh, know some of your Old Testament stories and history, there is a prophecy in, in Micah. And that speaks of Bethlehem, Ephrathah, where the Messiah is going to be born. And so there's a, a blessing here, asking that the Lord would grant Boaz prosperity, strength, and fame in the land that he was from, that God would do great things through him, that there would be redemption. And that continues, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So they're just asking that the Lord would bless Boaz and his family, his family line. It would be great. That would be like that of Perez. And Perez would have been an ancestor of Boaz. And probably a lot of people in that city, he would have been one of their ancestors. And Perez was born through the leveret marriage. Of, but that of manipulation and deception of that of Judah and Tamar. And uh, that's a whole other story uh, for another sermon but even God used some unfaithfulness and brokenness to, to bring about his plan. And Tamar most likely, too, was a Gentile as well. So we see just the whole town, everyone that's hearing of this marriage between Boaz and Ruth, that they are approving. And there's this strong prayer of blessing upon Ruth and Boaz. But if you remember throughout, throughout this book, it continues to say that Ruth, Ruth is the Moabite. She's that outsider. It's Ruth the Moabite. The one who's the outsider, but now is brought fully in. She's now an insider. And she's one who is going to be known as one who's significant in the line of King David. And one leading all the way, as we know, through the line of King David to the line of our King Jesus, our Redeemer. So Ruth the Moabite becomes the grandmother, again, of King David. And then that of great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of, of King Jesus. So she becomes this true daughter of Abraham, this true Israelite, fully a child of God. This Moabite now is brought in. And we could say, what grace. What great grace. And you think of Ruth. Remember how Ruth, she said that earlier to Boaz when Boaz said to her when she went to glean in his field, she, Boaz said to Ruth, just glean as much as you want and gave her all these privileges. And she said, why are you showing me so much favor? Why so much grace? And we see this throughout this passage, even in these names that are mentioned here of Rachel and Leah and Tamar and Judah. There was great brokenness. There was great even rebellion from God and the Lord. And yet he extended grace to them and to us. And in this, we're reminded that our sins, they're not greater than the grace of our God through Jesus Christ. Think of John 1, 16 through 17. We read these a couple weeks back. These words that speak of Jesus and his grace. It says, for from his, Jesus' fullness, we have 
all received grace upon grace. So not just grace, but grace upon grace in Jesus. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we, like Ruth, when we turn from our sins and we trust in Jesus, we are brought into the family of God. We're fully His. I think of Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 13. In Ephesians, this is a letter that was written to a church that was full of both Jews and Gentiles. And Gentiles are just those who were not Jews. And they were, in one way, separate, but he's reminding them that they're all brought in. And he says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, but, what it is, but by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. Remember, remember that you were at the same time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And the question is, well, how near? How near are we brought in by Christ? Well, we're brought in so near that we can abide in Jesus. We can remain in Jesus. We can dwell in Jesus and he in us. At the beginning of this year, now the foot. Folks don't know, but we began and we, we walked through John 15 and just talked about abiding in Jesus. And may we be reminded of that this morning. John 4, 15, 4 through 5. Abide in me, Jesus said, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And as we walked through that, we were reminded that the main command in that isn't to bear fruit. What's the main command? Abide. Abide in me. What a wonderful thing to be told to do. Abide in the true vine. Abide in Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. And as he remains in us, he will produce that fruit in us as we walk in him. And we're called to abide. And then in John 15, it gets even better. And then John 15, verse 9, we talked about this a couple weeks back. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. What a great command. Abide in the love of Jesus and the love of our God. Abide in love. And as we've been walking through Ruth, we've talked about, we see this kindness of Ruth to Naomi and then Boaz to both Ruth and Naomi. And over all of this, this kindness of our God, and there's that Hebrew word maybe you're familiar with. It doesn't translate well into English. Sometimes we just say it. It's hesed, which translated often is that loving kindness. And we've been talking about it as a stubborn, loyal, steadfast love. And we're called to abide in that type of love in Jesus, a stubborn, loyal, steadfast love. We're called to abide and abide. So we who are far off outsiders are brought in to abide. How near? Abide in Jesus and he in us. And then we continue verses 13 through 17. We hear more about Naomi. We see that there's been such a change from the beginning of Ruth to what we read here at the end of Ruth. So verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. So we're reminded, so we're going to walk through this, how, how Naomi, she was empty, but she's made full here. 
And we see all, there's an events, this one verse uh, probably has a, events of at least a year, probably of things, all condensed down. So we don't have a lot of details in here, but we have what's important. And we're reminded, first, of some things that Boaz had said to Ruth before. And this is earlier on in their story together in Ruth chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. You can just turn a few pages to that if you want to track that down. And Boaz, Boaz is speaking with Ruth. And Ruth has just asked him, Why have you shown me so much favor? Why so much grace? And he says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband has been fully, fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord the God of Israel, unto, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. So he just speaks to her, and he's heard all these things, and he asks that there would be blessing poured out upon her. And Boaz, now he's the one who's fulfilling this prayer. He's fulfilling these things. These are happening in this one verse as this marriage happens, and a, a child is born to Ruth. And all that we saw, all these blessings that the people of the village of Bethlehem had put upon them, they're being fulfilled here. And Boaz and Ruth, so they're married, they conceive, they give birth to a child, and now rescue, before we talked about, as we've been walking through, how rescue was, was unsure, unresolved, but now rescue is made certain and resolved here, and redemption is coming. And the author makes clear that it's by the hand of the Lord, as it says... Verse 13, the Lord gave her conception. The Lord was working, and he gave the birth, or the conception of this child, leading to the birth of Boaz. So the author wants to make sure that God, he's the one who's the mover, and he's the actor. He's enabling and doing these things, and we see the loving kindness of the Lord God fulfilling. And this love that the Lord God shows, out, shows on Ruth and Boaz, it's not just on Ruth and Boaz, but also on Naomi, Naomi's been a pivotal person in this book, and he's showing kindness to her. God is removing that cloud that she's been walking in this deep cloud of despair and loss and bitterness and emptiness where she can see the hand of God, but she can't see the goodness of God at all. But now the loving kindness is being poured out upon Naomi as she becomes this grandmother of this child. And before this, she was no one of prominence. And yet God is pours out upon her just great grace. And then verse 14. Then the Lord, I'm sorry, then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For you, for your daughters-in-law, for, I'm sorry, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. So we have this. There's such a huge shift in the life of Ruth. At the very beginning of Ruth, let me read a little bit. This is from chapter 1, verse 19. It says, so the two of them, so this is when Ruth and Naomi, they are left Moab to go back to Judah. 
and they go into Bethlehem. And, and if you be reminded, that Bethlehem, it's not thousands of people, probably just hundreds of people, less than a thousand people. And people know each other. It's a small town. And when they come into Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. They're excited. Naomi's back. And the women say, is this Naomi? So they're asking, they're saying, Naomi, her name Naomi, Naomi means pleasant. So they're saying, pleasant is back. Look, it's pleasant. And then Naomi's like, no, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Don't call me pleasant. When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. And we talked about that at that time where she was walking in such darkness in the clouds. And these are almost words to the wind. She had trouble seeing the goodness of the Lord in these moments. But now the Lord hasn't left her empty without a redeemer. She, he hasn't left her without one to step in and rescue her family and to continue on the, the line of her deceased husband, Elimelech, and redeem that land that can continue in the family through the birth of this child through Ruth. So there's a change in this. And we see that this child is a restorer of life for Naomi and for Ruth as well. And Ruth is one, again, who's bound her life and her future with Naomi. And the Lord is pouring out his kindness upon them. And it speaks of Ruth that she is better than seven sons. And seven, if you maybe know that it's a number that it's used often to mean complete and perfect. So there's this picture that Ruth is just the perfect one to step in and who has cared for her. And before we had the, the number six of incomplete, when Boaz, she, Boaz gave Ruth six, barrel, or six um, measures of barley to take back to Naomi. So there was an incompleteness to that. And now the rescue is made complete and we're reminded of that. And we see in this and see in these few verses that they all break forth in praise to God. That they see that God is at work, that God is doing a work. And we need to see when things break forth, that it's God and his hand that are moving. I mentioned at the beginning that a while back with my kids, I read some stories from my great-grandfather, who was the pastor in North Dakota. And in the winter, uh, back in the day, the only way to get from one place to another was not um, in, in an SUV, but it was a sleigh um, with horses. And I was reading him a story that one time as he was heading back to his home, he got lost in the blizzard. And it was the hand of the Lord. The, the horses um, made their way home, and they brought him home. And we were reading that story, and, and my youngest, Rachel, piped up, and she said, God showed the horses where to go. And, and indeed, God showed the horses. She saw it, right? She saw it. We could just stop there and just end with that. But let's continue. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So the author then tells of Naomi holding her grandchild 
in her lap, and he beca- she becomes his nurse. And this could also be translated nanny or even foster parent. So she was stepping in, really, to be the caretaker of Obed. And she had one, she was one who, whose arms were empty, but now they are full as she holds the, her grandson and she cares for him as her own son. And the women there of the neighborhood, they just declare out this birth announcement. A, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. Again, this scene, again, it's this huge contrast in Ruth. And we can't miss that of what's going on here in the book. Because earlier on, again, at the very beginning, in chapter 1, verse 11 through 13, let's read again the words of Naomi. And this is, again, where she's telling her daughters-in-law, go back to Moab, there is no hope with me. And she said, turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Then turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Remember, she, she just tells it, hey, even if I marry today and I conceive tonight and by a miracle um, conceive and by a miracle have twins and two sons and you marry and they grow up they're not even going to marry you there is no hope with me i'm as dead and here we see this huge shift here as there's this declaration what is they what do they say they say a son has been born to naomi so this huge contrast of what is impossible for god our man is totally possible for god so we see the impossible happen, and there is hope. And a child is born to Naomi. And he is one who is going to be the, the grandfather of King David in the line of King Jesus. And as we've been walking through this, uh, for those from, from the team here, we've referenced a few times a book by Paul Miller. He's a guy who wrote a, a, praying, a Praying Life. If you haven't read that, it's a great book. And he has another one, A Loving Life, where he walks through Ruth. And one of the things that he talks about is, is there's this pattern that we see um, in the way that God works. Sometimes there are cultures where they think of things as very uh, cyclical, but we see that that's not really the picture. The picture really is life and then death, but then resurrection. And so we see that pictured in the death, the life and the death of Jesus Christ. We see it in our baptism. And then in little ways throughout our life as we walk through trials and difficulties, there's often deep despair and clouds like Naomi went through where all she saw was bitterness. But then the Lord brings about that resurrection, that rescue and he calls it a J-curve. And he says these four things. And just reminding you, I know we've read them a couple weeks back. But he said he learned these four things about that J-curve of the way that the Lord works often. He says, we don't know how or when resurrection will come, where that rescue will come. It's God's word. It's God's work, not ours. We don't even know what, a, what the resurrection, what that rescue is going to look like in our life. We can't demand the shape or the timing of it. And like Jesus, we must embrace the death that the Father puts in front of us. The path of resurrection is through dying, not fighting. 
And if we endure, resurrection always comes because Jesus is alive. God is alive. So there's always a resurrection in view. And here we see that. And another thing Paul Miller had said is that uh, a lot of times suffering is the crucible for love because we need to die to self and die to ego to be able to love well. And I know some of us have walked through that to be able to love and care well. And the Lord has been gracious to bring about that resurrection, that rescue. And we know ultimately that points to our eternal life that we will have with Jesus when we see him face to face. So there's rescue and redemption. The empty are made full in Jesus. And then finally, the last few verses, we have that genealogy that we have. And we see faithfulness and loving kindness of ordinary of just ordinary folks that are used by God in his salvation plan. Again, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez, father of Hezron. Hezron, father of Ram. Ram, father of Aminadab. Aminadab, father of Nashon. Nashon, father of Salmon. Salmon, father of Boaz. Boaz, father of Obed. Obed, father of Jesse. Jesse, father of of David. So we have these two genealogies. One is a short one and then a longer one that plays out. And again, it leads to King Jesus and the one who points to the true king, the everlasting king, King Jesus, who's in the line of that. As we think about this, we think how Elimelech had died um, and his sons had died and he was childless. And that line to King David was cut off. But then we see the faithfulness of Ruth, the Moabite, to to cling to, to bind her life with Naomi. And the Lord provides. She put herself under the the refuge of the one true God. And then we see the faithfulness of Boaz to step in and sacrificially be the redeemer for Ruth. And we saw that last week. How There was one one other redeemer who wouldn't step in because it was too much of a risk. There was too much loss that could happen there. But he was willing, Boaz was willing to step in. So we see through this that the Lord used them to continue on the line of what he was doing. Because without Boaz, without Ruth, um, there would have been no continuation. There would no be no birth of Obed leading to King David. Of course, none of this was at risk. God was fully in charge. But their faithfulness, their loving kindness, the Lord used to continue out his rescue plan. Not just for them, not just for those in Bethlehem, not just for the Israelite people, but for us today as it leads to, the, to King Jesus. So Ruth and Boaz, they walked in faithfulness. They walked in, in that hesed kindness, that loving kindness, that loyal, steadfast love. And they did so both in big and small ways, and the Lord used it. And ultimately, they didn't see what the Lord was doing. They never saw the accomplishment and the way that the Lord used their faithfulness. But we know that he did. And a lot of the things they did could be really totally overlooked and sometimes our faithfulness the things that we do the loving kindness that we show one another it's all things overlook things not famous big things but little small things that the lord uses to do his work and to bring about his rescue plan and the salvation message to be spoken to many think of second corinthians 9 10 through 13 that says he who supplies seed to the sower And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thankfulness to God. So the Lord takes seeds, our seeds of faithfulness, and he he does a great harvest, a great work that, 
that we couldn't do on our own. And we don't know how the Lord is using our small little steps of faithfulness to do a great work in the people around us and beyond. We just have no idea how the Lord uses these things. I think of Galatians 6, 9 through 10, that we're reminded we're not to grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, we have opportunity. Let us do good to everyone especially to those who are the household of faith. So even this week, as we have opportunity to serve our community and for the Texas team, for you guys come in and serve in us, the Lord is going to use that faithfulness in ways that we, we probably won't fully see this week. Right? There, we're planting seeds. We're planting the gospel. We're loving people. We're showing faithfulness of our God. And the Lord will use that. Um, use it in big and small ways that you never know, even just faithfulness of Sunday school teachers who poured out their lives to kids year after year. We don't know how the Lord will use that or handing out a tract. Or I've talked about this before. John, John Greed in our congregation loves to share scripture with people. And I just know the Lord uses those seeds to do great things. And he's doing those type of things. And even in our family line, we don't know what the Lord is doing and where he's going to take our faithfulness. Again, it's by his grace. And as we close and as we think about Ruth, we're reminded the main character in Ruth isn't Ruth. The main character isn't Boaz. It isn't Naomi. But it's the one true God. It's the Lord God. And he's bringing about his redemption plan. And he is, he is faithful to redeem. And all of these things point us to King Jesus who came and one who was willing to, to suffer for us. One who was willing to become a servant, obedient to death, even death on the cross for us, that we could have life. And he poured out his steadfast, stubborn love upon us when he died for us, that we could be brought in, that we could be made full. And let me just close by reading some verses that point to the redemption that we have in Jesus. May we just uh, amen with them. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In him, we have redemption through his blood. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Galatians 1, 3 through 5, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God the Father, in whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we're reminded that in Jesus, when we do turn, and we rest in him, he will rescue. And last week we talked about how there is nothing in this world that can make us enough. There's no, no diet that can make us enough, no, no workout plan, no whatever it might be, no righteousness of our own, no works of serving other people that will make us enough. We need the righteousness of Jesus. Even today in the kids, they're talking about, um, in our Sunday school, we're, we're doing the, the um, armor of God as well, so they're going to get some uh, in, our, in the VBS. We're doing the armor of God. Um, and they're talking about the righteousness of Christ, the breastplate of righteousness. And a, a, lot, of the, a lot of times the curriculum will talk about that, that breastplate of righteousness as being us doing good stuff. But that's not what that is. It's Jesus' good stuff that he places upon us in his righteousness. So you might say, the, the, the Lord, he can't rescue me. I, I'm too far gone. I can't be forgiven. 
But then we come to verses like 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 31 that says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that, not, that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's saying that even the weakest are brought in. I read this morning, just in my reading time, it's talking about the children. Jesus brought a child next to him, and he said, that, that's how you're, you're to come, and to have faith like the child. We come, we're needy, we're, we're desperate, and Jesus is there to rescue us and bring us in, to be outsiders brought in, to be empty and made full in Jesus Christ. So may we be reminded of the things. And today, if you have not experienced the fullness of Jesus Christ, I call you to turn and trust in Jesus. And after the service, maybe you want to come talk with me or take one of the cards and just mark that you want to learn more about following Jesus or ask someone you know who follows Jesus, say you want to, Follow him more. You want to know what that means to follow him. And this week and throughout the summer and throughout our life, may we also know that the Lord uses our faithfulness, our, our loving kindness to do a great work and bring about rescue in the lives of people. And may we continue to, to press on knowing, not knowing in the future how the Lord will work. I think of my grandfather and how he's someone I look to as one who walked in faithfulness and encourages my faith. And I pray that the Lord will continue to use uh, the heritage of the things that he is doing in me, not about me, but to do and continue to do his work. May we be about that. Dear Father God, we thank you this morning for your kind mercies to us. Lord, we thank you that, that we, were, we were once outsiders. We were empty and you brought us in and you made us your own through Jesus Christ and you, you redeemed. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for these true stories in the Old Testament that point to your redemption, point to your sovereignty, point to your loving kindness. And I pray this morning that if there are any of yet to experience that loving kindness, that even this morning that they would turn and trust in you, trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray this week again that you would use our our small and mostly small probably acts of kindness and faithfulness to be used uh, for your glory, that we would be able to to make Jesus non-ignorable in this place and to the ends of the earth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.